Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording the show on Sunday, June 13th, 2021. And we're cramming our quick show here because Drew and Katie are headed to Palm Springs later today. And it, you've been looking at the weather reports, right? You know, I have. You know, it's it's our two the two year wedding anniversary, our two year wedding anniversary, the wedding you didn't attend. Jim, I know, uh, if I you'll know. recall. Yes. Uh, so that is uh, that is why we're going. We're just having a nice little week off, unplug, you mm. know, and just hang out and uh, not do anything. I got this from the National Weather Service this morning. Okay, this week, dangerously hot conditions with high temperatures between 112 and 120. (laughs) You're going here because what? Your preferred spot, the service of the sun, was booked? Yes, yes. Is this where you and Katie went for your honeymoon? Why are you going? Back well, there? we didn't. We didn't. We haven't even gone on our honeymoon yet, Jim, because of uh, of COVID. Oh, so we are right. just, uh, yeah, we are just uh, gonna sweat it out. You know, there's a reason that it is, we are by the pool. <sighs> we'll be by the pool every day. Maybe mm-hmm. we'll take a little trip into town and look at some at some antique furniture before it <laughs> it explodes in a well, fiery mean, blast. It's, it's so funny you say that because Nancy and I went out to Palm Springs six years ago. We were there just prior to the 2015 D23 Expo. And again, it was ridiculously hot. And in fact, it's so funny that you talk about the antique furniture places because Nancy wanted to do that. And it's so hot during this trip that the surrounding desert is actually on fire. You know, so we would go into, you know, these antique furniture places with their industrial strength air conditioning and then literally walk out to choking smoke. Well, you'll appreciate one time I, I went to an antique, we were in an antique store, and who was sitting there mm-hmm. holding court? Literally, it was just the, the guy that owned the store, mm-hmm. me, and then this third person who was famous character actor Udo Kier. And he was just what? chatting up a storm, and I said, oh, hey, Udo, and we started talking, mm-hmm. and he was telling me about his house in Palm Springs. and See, that's... That's the thing, I, and I don't entirely understand it, because I know we've talked in a previous uh, episode about how Phil Harris and his wife, Alice Faye, had a place out there. And of course, Walt had a place out there. In fact, during this trip, we were lucky enough to get the caretaker of Smoke Trigger Ranch invited us to come tour the grounds. And they actually took us over by Walt's second home. Because remember, he sold his first home at Smoke Tree to help pay for the construction of Disneyland. So once Disneyland paid off and was making money, he, he made... A second home, and, and you were mentioning that you can get into Walt's house now. Yeah, it's it's you can rent it. So I don't know if it's on Verbo or mm-hmm. if it's through Smoke Tree Ranch or something, but you can you can actually stay there. Wow. And what was amazing was that his house in Palm Springs was decorated with the TV console that we have in our house currently. <laughs> so I was like, oh. That's my connection to Walt. That and and the fact that I hate being woken up by the garbage trucks on Saturday morning and would and has that has taught me to create an under vast underground network of garbage, Jim. But yeah, uh, b- besides that, wow. Um, but yeah, it's pretty pretty fun. Yeah. Okay. Now you've seen pictures of this. Is there anything of the exterior of the house? I don't know if I I I didn't take that close of a look at it but you were telling me there's something interesting about that house. oh yes remember at his homeby hills house he built the miniature steam tram that went through the backyard and all that so he supposedly wanted to do something similar with his second home at smoke tree ranch 
And so he brings it to the homeowner situation and they in no way, shape or form are they going to allow him to put a miniature steam train in his backyard. So Walt gets kind of ticked off. So he built this wide slab of concrete that went completely around the house. And what he did is he bought Diane and, and Sharon's kids, these Irish mail carts, they're kind of pump pedal cars. So what he'd do is he'd get you know, a, well, I can't take in the stream chain, but you can ride around the outside of the house on these Irish mail carts and annoy the neighbors because they make a lot of noise as you're pushing the handle to make them move. But again, it was so funny to see, you know, you come up to the house and it's like, why is there a giant cement track around Walt's house? And it's like, oh, well, that was the tick off the neighbors. <laughs> I've heard those mail carts are actually more fun than uh, the Spider-Man ride at DCA, so... <laughs> That's also pretty interesting. Not that we were on that list, but now we're never no. on that list. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I do have one favor to ask of you because I did not get there. In fact, I, the problem, again, it was supposedly obscured by smoke. You couldn't see it. But when you've been to Palm Springs before, have you ever seen the Bob Hope house? No. I mean, as you know, I live in the shadow of his house. Yes. In, in yes. Toluca Lake. Yeah. 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 I think I, I've told you the story about Bob on Halloween nights. He would make a point of standing in front of his house and handing out candy bars to the locals. So I did get to see him at the Toluca Lake place. This was back in the early 80s thereabouts. But I, I always uh, wanted to see the Palm Beach place, which, uh, you know, I've always heard described. I mean, it's this 24,000 square foot thing that looks like a ufo has landed in the desert of, of palm springs it, it looks like where a bond supervillain plans world domination i never got to see it well i will make a point and i will send you pictures oh yeah. thank you i, yes. I, I yeah. really really appreciate that speaking of bob hope len and i talked about fess parker and how he only made those five episodes davy crockett episodes for the walt disney TV show, Disneyland, in, in the mid-50s. Well, that's not entirely true. He did play Davy Crockett one more time, and it's in a Bob Hope movie. The movie is called Alias Jesse James, came out in 1959, and the end of the film, Hope's character is facing down the James gang, and he's hopelessly outgunned, and so he needs help. but. To help him, virtually every actor of size who's been in a Western in the 1950s, whether it's on television or on film, shows up to do a cameo. So in this five-minute long scene, you get Gary Cooper playing the same character he played in High Noon. You get James Arness, and he's clearly playing Marshall Dillon from the Gunsmoke TV show. Ward Bond, uh, he's playing Major Adams from the Wagon Train show. Hugh O'Brien's there from the Wyatt Earp show. <laughs> Roy Rogers, I, the real Roy Rogers shows up. And also Jay Silverheels, the guy who played Tonto in the Lone Ranger show. And in the middle of this, toting old Betsy, wearing the coonskin cap in the exact same outfit that he did in the Davy Crockett episodes, here's Fess Parker. I mean, it's four years after he's played it in uh, for the Disney television show. More to the point... It's two years after he and Walt had that falling out and Parker walks away from a seven-year contract with Disney. But evidently, Hope himself went to Walt and said, 
I want to do this gag where I have all of these big Western actors seem to come to my rescue and I really love for Fess to do this and to give Walt credit. It's like, well, sure, absolutely. Use Fess and feel free to use the, the Davy Crockett outfit. So if you want to see this, folks, head over to YouTube and use the search terms star-studded finale alias Jesse James. It's a five-minute-long scene, and Fess basically shows up at the three minutes and 30-second mark. Well, Jim, can, can you tell your story about when you actually met Bob Hope? Because Jim knows that I've been living down the street from this house and it's been, it's been, it was empty for many years. It was, it was finally sold a couple of years ago. Jim, you should see the amount of work that is going on. Really? On, on this house. I mean, it's crazy. And it, it's a huge estate. My fear was, given what classically happens out in California, is big lots get broken down into the small lots. Is it? No, it, it looks like it's being maintained, but it is, I don't know who bought it, okay. but I think it was on sale for $22 million. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is prime location right down the street from the golf course. But mm-hmm. I love that your story involves Halloween because if anybody knows Toluca Lake is the neighborhood for oh, Halloween yeah. because it's a bunch of retired Imagineers and mm-hmm. animators mm-hmm. and all these creative people. And they go so over the top. It's insane. So go ahead and tell your story. This is the early 1980s. I'm working out in LA and I hear the story from friends about Bob Hope, Halloween night, he and Dolores stand on the porch and they hand out candy to the kids in the neighborhood. So I drive over to Toluca Lake and sure enough, there's Bob and Dolores on the front porch and there's this line of kids and their parents and I get in line and I get to the top of the line and Hope sizes me up and it's just, well, who are you supposed to be? The world's tallest midget? And it's like, no, 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 Mr. Hope, I just wanted to come and wish, you know, you and your bride a, a happy Halloween and to also thank you for the memories. And Pope just sort of smiles and goes, well, that'll get you two full-size candy bars. And, you know, <laughs> so it's like, okay, I hope Bob Hope responsible for my diabetes. So it's okay. like, oh, hey, I can sue the estate now. This is cool. <laughs> Jeez, have we actually <laughs> talked about any animation news yet? <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. Okay. We're about to get to it, folks. So the news portion of today's show is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network for a worry-free travel experience. Please book online at storybookdestinations.com. For starters, we had that Masters of the Universe Revelation trailer. What did you think of that one? I thought the trailer was very good. I mean, you know, anytime the Bonnie Tyler song from Footloose. There we go. And not to give anything away, but you might be hearing it again on this week's episode of Loki. That's oh. all I'm going to say. There is, it's something's in the water, Jim, with Bonnie Tyler, apparently. Okay. Maybe it's uh, okay. Jim Steinman. I think Jim Steinman wrote this one, right? He so, did. He did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was just reading about that only Jim Steinman could get away with those lyrics. Yeah. Legend. So this new animated series on Netflix it's supposed to pick up where the television series from the 80s left off. Been a lot of hype about this from executive producer Kevin Smith. So the very fact that the trailer was cut to the Bonnie Tyler song, Holding Out for a Hero, was fun. But, you know, if you think about the He-Man character, he already looked like he was on steroids. But this trailer itself looks like it's on steroids. I mean, it just killer voice cast. I mean, you know, you know from listening to the trailer that, that that's Mark Hank. Hamill is Skeletor. Likewise, Lena Headley from Game of Thrones is Evil Lynn. 
Sarah Marshall, Michelle Geller as Tila, and and finally Stephen Root, Root as Cringer. But you've actually seen a couple of episodes of this, right? Yeah, that's about all I could handle, mm-hmm. uh, Jim. I was not super impressed. Mm-hmm. But that could be because I didn't grow up with the show. Mm-hmm. I did watch the horrible movie a lot as a child. Well, um, again, that's Gary Goddard. Yes. Former Imagineer. Yes. But yeah, I don't know. I just, I didn't connect with it. It is, it is insanely over the top and mm-hmm. insanely kind of like entrenched in this mythology. Mm-hmm. So who knows? You might, you might love it, Jim. Other people might love it. I was not super into it. But. Okay. We're, we're going to have to wait to find out because that doesn't drop till July 23rd, the first five episodes. Did you watch Wish Dragon, by the way, Jim? No, no. In fact, I, I thank you for it. bringing that up. Yeah. And, um, and? I, I really thought it was great. Mm-hmm. It is really charming and mm-hmm. funny and some great design work. Mm-hmm. And John Cho as the um, dragon is just so funny because he's he's a very annoyed dragon, Jim. Mm-hmm. He, he's someone you will sympathize <laughs> with having to do a show with me once a week. <laughs> uh, just the level of annoyance there. I saw the review. Was it The, the Hollywood Reporter? They, they were mentioning to the effect of it's a story that's been told before. But evidently, John Cho's performance and the attitude really helps carry it. Really helps make this worth going out of your way to see. Yeah, yeah. and he's and he's such a cute design oh. too. It's really, really lovely. Um, Tell you what, I will watch with Dragon today. I will. will yeah, yeah. Let out. me know what you think. Send me, shoot me a text because I was surprisingly uh, charmed by it, and I had it on sort of as Katie was falling asleep, and mm. she kept waking up because she was loving mm-hmm. like what she was hearing. So anyway, oh. check it out, Jim. I am very curious to, to what you'll think of it. Yeah. We'll talk about it next show. Okay. Speaking of you and I actually got the interview, the gentleman who directed the Tom and Jerry movie that you yeah. know Warner's animation put out in February this year. So I was kind of intrigued to see that HBO max is now getting a Tom and Jerry in New York series. Yeah, was the is it based on the movie? I mean, it seems like it, right? The bullet point for this thing says that the two classic cartoon characters, as the show starts, are settling into their new digs at the Royal Gate Hotel, which that's the luxury Manhattan hotel that the, the film was set in. But did you see who's directing the entire run of, of episodes for this thing? No. Daryl Van Sitters. Oh, hello. The reason Mr. Taylor has made that noise is because, you know, he has spent way too much time researching Roger Rabbit over the years. And yes, Daryl was part of the team at Disney that made the first pass on turning the Gary Wolf book into a movie. Right. Yeah. If you want to hear his take on it, watch that. Um, I forget. What, what was that special called, Jim? That um, oh, the Disney Studio Showcase, the Disney Studio Showcase, where. They go into it, and he shows footage from it, and you see some test animation, and that was when Paul Rubens was the voice of mm. Roger. I mean, I thought it was very striking, beautiful stuff. It was, it was. And in a weird sort of way, I mean, it was a different take on the material. I mean, in that iteration, it was Jessica who's the villain? Yes. Supposedly, the problem was that in order to pull it off, you needed characters other than Disney characters to buy into this was actually hollywood of 47 and disney just didn't have the pull 
you know, at that point in the 1980s, you know, they could, you know, they could barely get McLean Stevenson to appear in the cat from outer space, you know, let alone give us Popeye, give us olive oil. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> go away. So with Daryl on board, I'm definitely going to have to check these out. Yeah, it'll be interesting. On the other hand, I have tried now. I am a 63-year-old man, so it's been 50 years that I have been trying to get into the Lord of the Rings and the books, the movies, they all defeat me. So you shared that there is this new anime uh, Lord of the Rings project coming, The War of the Rohirrim. Am I saying that right? I guess so. Who knows, Jim? We'll say you said it right. Okay. The thing is, the reason that I will probably go out of my way to, to catch this particular Lord of the Rings thing is who's writing it. Uh, we have Jeffrey Addis and Will Matthews, and these are the same guys who wrote The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, the 10-episode prequel series for the D- Dark Crystal film from 82 that the Jim Henson Company recently made. And did you ever get to, that, to watch that? Or I never watched... I mean, talk about something that was seemed sort of interminable. I could not get through that. That pilot was just like, I mean, and, and everyone has told me that it's wonderful. Everyone has told me how much I'll, I'll love it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was just, you know, the amount of clans and yeah. creatures and it was just a lot of stuff. There was a lot of front loading that you needed a ridiculous amount of exposition. And I, and I won't lie. I, I don't think it really hit the ground running till like episode three. But yeah, I mean, it, it paid off nicely. It left you hanging. That's the, the saddest part about them not getting at least another season or further film to sort of wrap things up. But I just want more episodes of Earth to Ned, Jim. That's all I want. <laughs> Crying out loud. I understand that. I do. I do. <laughs> Earth to Ned is wonderfully puppeteered characters. And right. with the, the Ted movies rather than Ned, that was a foul-mouthed teddy bear done via CG that was voiced by Seth MacFarlane. We got the original film in 2012 and the sequel in 2015. So now we're getting a series for Peacock. I don't care about this at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you listen carefully, folks, that's another list we're being cut off <laughs> right there. It's okay. okay. It's okay. All right. I'll, I'll take it. I don't need to see any more, Ted. Okay. The sequel was one of the worst, just absolutely worst most self-indulgent things. And I had just sat through Seth Mac- Speaking of horrible mm-hmm. Western comedies, mm-hmm. A Million Ways to Die in the West. Good Lord. Yes. That's a tough film to watch, except for like the two minutes in the middle where Seth MacFarlane's character wanders up to that barn in the after dark. Oh. And there's Doc Brown working on the DeLorean. He's yes. trapped in the American West. And here comes Seth MacFarlane characters. And Doc Brown casually is kind of throwing the tarp over the time. Oh, nothing. I'm, I'm making a nice machine. Right. For that two minutes, it's worth watching. Beyond that, right. yeah, I get what you're saying. You got to love a tubby comedian who casts Charlize Theron and Amanda Seyfried as two women fighting over him. Mm-hmm. You know, that that takes some guts, Jim. I love uh, I love the hubris there. We were just talking about the Bob Hope Western, and he made a bunch of comedy Westerns over the course of his career. Mm-hmm. And that's supposedly what McFarland was basing his performance on, you know, that, that sort of Bob Hope stereotypical coward who was still a smartass who'd still say things to the villain and that sort of thing and i hate to say it sometimes seth MacFarlane isn't the best 
vehicle to sell his own material. Though, just to circle back to the Ted thing, what I thought was interesting about the articles in the trades that were about this is that they were saying that Peacock has made a straight-to-series order, that this show's going forward, but they haven't yet locked in McFarlane to voice Ted again? Yeah. Which I think a lot of the appeal of the first two films was the spin that, that McFarlane could put on this foul mouth teddy bear. So Yeah, we could be looking at a real babe pig in the city situation, Jim. <laughs> if you know what I mean. That joke is for you and maybe two other There we go. So. so you and I have talked about this previously though, that in a lot of these situations, the voice performers that seem to be key to the project sometimes don't get signed to the absolute last minute. In fact, you told me about how for the Monsters at Work show for Disney Plus, they didn't sign Goodman and Crystal till the day before they announced her. Is that right? Or? Well, I think it was one of those things where it was it was very close to the D23 announcement. Hmm. OK, that I was told that, yeah, it was it was down to the wire, but they do that a lot. Like, you know, there's those stories of Mark Ruffalo signing the Avengers paperwork backstage at Comic-Con literally before going out on stage. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's killer. So, you know, there's stuff like that. So I think it was, it was less tight maybe than we would have imagined it, Mm -hmm. but it was, it was pretty close to that announcement. Yeah. That, which was, I think um, that was at the last D23, which was 20, 19 was that the last d23 no no i think you're right 2019 like everybody else who's been locked down for 15 16 totally lost since what year is it again 2021 oh yeah yeah there would have been a d23 in 2019 (laughs) yeah we we can actually leave our homes at that point all right oh yeah speaking of monsters at work and d23 plus tell you what folks we're going to take a quick commercial break and when we get back we'll talk more about that show Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, so we were just talking about Disney Plus and the Monsters at Work animated series, which debuts on that streaming service in less than three weeks, July 2nd. We got a teaser trailer a couple of months ago, and we just got our first really for real trailer two days ago. Yeah, what did you think about it? I like the premise from the get-go on this. I mean, the Tyler Tuskerman, we have our kid who's a Head of his class at, at Monsters University, top scarer, evidently got recruited to come to Monsters Inc. prior to graduation. So, but he shows up on the day they make the decision to switch over from harvesting scares to it's laughter we're after. And now he shows up and there's no job. So he gets assigned to MIFT. It's the Monsters Inc. facilities team. You gotta love the voices they've lined up for this. Mindy Callen, uh, Henry Winker, Aisha Tyler. And for me, what's exciting about this thing is who they who developed it. Bob Scanaway. You know him from Disney Toon Studio, the Planes movies, the, the original plane, plane from 2013 and 2014 sequel, Planes Fire and Rescue. 
that film particularly has some of the scariest fire footage I've ever seen in a movie. I mean, it's it's right up there with that soundstage fire from Bolt, which is nightmare fuel for little kids. Yeah, that second movie is super underrated. Um, it is, it is. Well, I would argue that there was a lot of stuff that Disney Stone Studios did that was underrated. But Bob's done animated series for Disney television previously. I mean, Leo and Sisha series, House of Mouse. Last couple of years, he's kind of specialized in more of the preschool stuff. He did Jake and the Neverland Pirates and Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. But I feel like he's going to get to work with some sharper stuff or some more adult humor with Monsters at Work. But again, that debuts July 2nd, whereas we just this past Friday had the second season of Zenimation debut. And I love these. Have you gotten a chance to see this next eight? No, not yet, but I can't wait because they are just wonderful. I think it's last week's episode. You talked about how, especially if you're a fan of behind the scenes stuff and seeing footage that didn't necessarily make it out to public. You talked about it. I guess it was a placemaker or establishing a sense of a feel for the world for. Yeah, it was Rhea like a sizzle. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, in the one that's cut with the title that says rain, this is actually where you get to see that footage. And it is fascinating because it's like Rhea is mostly done in shadow. I mean, it's her mm-hmm. in rain with her hat and her cloak, and it's all very mysterious. But again, an early, early take on the material. So that's worth checking out. On the other hand, there's one with the title of kindness. And I'm just going to tell you right up front, do not watch this without Kleenex. It is just so cool. But I think this this is basically Disney animation in the raw. Yeah. They stripped out the music. They've stripped out like 99.999% of the, the voices. I mean, they do that wonderful baby Moana rescuing the turtle thing. And you get to hear the baby gurbling, but, you know, no words. And I think at one point they have Tramp and they use the actor from the 50s making a stretching noise. And that's all you hear. They have absolutely amazing sound design by Shannon Mills from Skywalker Sound. And got to give credit where credit is due here. The guy who created and edited the series. And this is the first one, first set of eight. And now the second set of eight. David Bess, it's masterful stuff. The way he stitches this stuff together, there's one that's just water. Mm-hmm. And you're watching this stuff and you realize, wait a minute, that's Fantasia. Right. The dancing goldfish from Fantasia. And he somehow stitches it together in this effortless way with the Little Mermaid. And it all seems a piece of a whole. You've watched the earlier series. Did you watch it when they they went from grouping them as an individual set of individual films to they, they created like the 45-minute long version? Oh, no, I didn't know they did that. I, I saw them individually. I think I, I think I watched them before they came out. Okay. We also share a, a friend with the producer is, is Amy Astley, you know, our buddy uh, at Walt Disney uh, Animation. So this is her, uh, her baby. So it's so cool to see it. I'm so glad she championed this because they are just so ridiculously enjoyable. And it just, you come away from these things with so much stronger an appreciation for the art and artistry of Walt Disney Animation Studios. Because again, there's none of that humble music in the background. There's no voices. It's just the animation and the design that carries the animation. It's so strong. Conversely, though, 
the thing of Disney Plus is you get to look at the entire Disney catalog. I blame you, Drew, because you're the one who let me know three weeks ago, four weeks ago, that The Happiest Millionaire was going to debut on Disney Plus this month. Yes. I only made it for the through the first ten minutes. Please tell me, who is this movie for? Well, you know, it's it's Rob Marshall's favorite movie. Favorite Disney it, movie, Jim. So, yeah. It really? Does he it really use it is. to break down dinner party guests? I mean, why? Why would this be your favorite Disney film? It has no animation. The first cut of this movie was 164 minutes long. I think that's the version that's on Disney Plus, too. I know this one has the curtain music, as in you're being loaded into the theater, and then there's an intermission, and then there's exit music. Because there's one version, there's a director's cut of this thing, that's 172 minutes long. I can't imagine who would watch this. Look, it's not untalented. And when you watch the thing, every dollar of the $5 million that they spent to make this thing back in 1966, 1967, it's there. You can see it. It's right there up on screen. It's not like a Cleopatra where they threw millions away. I mean, it, it, but it's just sort of like, who is this for? Wasn't that the last live action movie Walt worked on before he died? So I'm not saying there's a connection, Jim, but <laughs> there might be a connection. The way I've always had it explained to me is that this is the movie that Walt made after Mary Poppins. And remember that there's that famous story about when Mary Poppins was made and it, everyone you know, at the studio kind of stood back and it was such... A giant hit. Walt actually said at one point, well, looks like the old man knows what he's doing. This was the film that was made after that. So did you ever hear that the original star of this film was supposed to be Rex Harrison? No. They couldn't get him, so they that's why they hired Fred McMurray. Did they look at the did they did they look in the bar <laughs> at the bar, Jim? Or I don't know what he was doing besides this. I don't know. It's, you know, it just, because again, when I think, when I think musical, Fred McMurray is the name right at the top of the list. Right. Guy can't carry a tune in a bucket. But there's two movies during 67 where you get to see Walt Disney with one foot in the theme park world and one foot in the, uh, the movie making world. And that's, that is, uh, The Happiest Millionaire and The Gnome Mobile because they both have audio animatronic characters in it. I guess there's some point where there's a scene with Tommy Steele, and I, I just can't watch the movie long enough to catch it, but it, evidently George the Alligator at one point is is done as an animatronic so they can get a close-up with, with Tommy interacting with it. And in the Gnome-mobile, I don't know if you remember, there's that scene where it's like a raccoon and two jays, and I forget what other creature are, are talking to the gnomes. But Walt had convinced himself on the success of Mary Poppins, that you could put animatronic figures in Disney films. And have you ever closely watched that scene in uh, Mary Poppins during A Spoonful of Sugar where she's interacting with the animatronic Robin? I mean, it's not a very convincing Robin. The other problem is, frankly, Mary Poppins' hand gets about the size of a baseball glove in a couple of shots, you know, because, <laughs> you know, they have to run all these cables down her arm. But, you know, I mean, Julie Andrews is game. She'll do it. But it is just such a terrible movie. I mean, not Mary Poppins, uh, The Happiest Millionaire, though. And there's all these great stories about how the film premieres in Hollywood 
in July of 67. They do the premiere in Hollywood. And it doesn't then begin its roadshow engagement in New York till four months later. And evidently, Card Walker and Bill Anderson, a longtime producer at Disney, guided Mary Poppins and a lot of Disney people. And they had these knockdown, drag out brawls about you have to cut this movie. They cut 20 minutes out between the Hollywood premiere and when it, it debuted at Radio City. And then when it went off of its roadshow thing where you, you could get reserved tickets to it. And again, it had the intermission. Uh, they cut another 20 minutes out of it. it. It was under two hours at that point. This is a real Heaven's Gate situation. But at least Heaven's Gate, after the fact, when people saw the full director's cut of that one, it's like, oh, okay. You know, I mean, remember how 10 or 15 years after the yeah. fact, when we finally got the director's cut, the story about Hens Gate became less about how much they spend and how much little money it made, but to the effect of this is a good movie, you know, yeah. they had put the director's cut out with. Nobody has ever said that about The Happiest Millionaire, and they won't, even with the director's cut of 172 minutes. But again, Drew, I, I blame you because I wouldn't have gone to watch this movie again and found out that I, I just can't watch it. <laughs> so we could have, at this point in the show, been talking about the wonderful Ron's Gone Wrong trailer that just dropped. That looked charming. That really yeah, it looks did. really good. Yeah, and likewise, you dug up a story about Whoopi Goldberg joining the cast of Skydance's Luck. Yeah. And you wanted to point out that she had previously worked on a, a Lasseter project, right? Or... Yeah, she was Stretch in Toy Story 3, the stretchy right. octopus. Yeah. Okay. She'll work with him, but not Amber Thompson. No. By the way, I wanted to ask, what did you think of the news about the Cruella sequel basically getting fast-tracked? I'm excited. Did you did you end up watching Cruella? I will watch it later today after Luck oh. Dragon. Oh my god. Oh well, no, everybody no, everybody's raving about it, though the one thing I keep hearing from folks is that the original 101 Dalmatians is what, 64, 72 minutes or thereabouts? And yeah. Cruella is exactly double the length of the original film from 61. But everybody talks about what a great film it is. Yeah, it's really great. I mean, it's not as long as Happiest Millionaire, so at least it's got that going for it. I also wanted to tell you, Jim, if you just wanted to wait until the 25th, mm -hmm. you can actually buy it on multiple platforms. So you don't have to be wed to Disney+. Plus. You know, you can mm -hmm. purchase it on Movies Anywhere, Vudu, Amazon, whatever. So you might want to wait and get it then when you can watch it on whatever device or platform you choose. That brings me to my conundrum with Cruella, because so many people have said, this is a great movie. I mean, from the soundtrack to the performances and, you know, how the two Emmas are just amazing. I was thinking that this might be the very first movie I go back into a theater to see after Onward. Yeah. Are you dealing with kind of the same thing mask-wise out in L.A.? Because basically... People have stopped wearing them outside. It's still pretty masked up here. I mean, mm -hmm. we're worried about that Delta variant, Jim. And oh, that's so right. Everybody's that's still right. pretty masked up. I mean, I've seen a few movies in the theater so far. Everybody's worn masks. And mm -hmm. you'll love this, Jim. I got a ticket, one of the few, to mm -hmm. a screening of Luca in the theater at the El Cap. So next weekend, no! 
Oh. I'm going to take my lovely bride and we're going to go to the El Cap and have so much fun oh. there and maybe get a milkshake at Ghirardelli afterwards, Jim. But yeah, so I'm really excited to see that. That opens this coming Friday and that's a must-see movie. I mean, I, I again, I know it's on Disney+, Plus, but I, this really, if you can, go see this on a big screen. It's amazing. So Mr. Taylor has to get going because, again, he doesn't want to get there you know, in palm strength when it gets cold, you know, down to what the high nineties. I think it was. I think it was actually ninety-seven at nine a.m. today. So, <laughs> oh my God. keep dreaming, Jim. All right. Well, anyway, we'll be back with, with another show. You know, as soon as he, <laughs> if he survives his time out in the, the, the flaming desert. But in the meantime, if you are looking for something to listen to in the car, uh, there is honestly nothing more entertaining right now than all of the shows that are under the light diffuse banner we are on the precipice of our great chat with uh, brian de palma which you very graciously gave a shout out to in the main show and then we're kind of dipping back into john wick a little bit we talked to dan lawson who is mm-hmm. guillermo del toro's uh, cinematographer and we learn how close fantastic voyage came to actually happening jim which is mm-hmm. really really close so we've got those episodes we're talking. We talked to Chad Stahelski uh, earlier, and now we talked to David Leach, who was the other co-director of the first John the Wick, uh, John Wick, John the Wick. And uh, yeah, so we've got a, a bunch of great shows coming up. So yeah, check those out. If you listen to the show, you like behind the scene Hollywood stories anyway. And this is all uppercase stuff. Drew gets people to tell stories they never really should tell. And over here, we got some podcasts, though. We got Disney-ish with Lentesta. Uh, Dustin Fuse and I will be doing a brand new Universal Joint sometime this week. Aaron Adams and I will be doing a brand new Marvel Us Disney. And we will be talking Loki, which, by the way, Drew is part of a special subset of people who write entertainment-wise, because you actually got to see the first two episodes of Loki, right? Prior to air. Yes, I did. I saw the first two episodes, and I got that very cool Loki box. No! Uh, all sorts of TVA oh. goodness. So I got, yeah. You have a Miss Minutes wall clock? Oh, you were killing me. Yes, yes. Please, do me a favor. Do not wear your Time Variance jacket out in the desert. That's just no, asking for trouble, Drew. Okay, so... Tell you what, if you could do, Drew and I have a favor, if you get over to Apple Podcasts and not only rate the show you're listening to now, but also uh, light the fuse and you haven't put up a review there, that would be incredibly helpful Well, as well. If you head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. You can find us over Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and over on Facebook at Jim Hill Media News. So that's going to do it for now. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll be back soon.